Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Lovely to see you. Happy Easter. I'm so delighted to be with you all this morning. It's hot. The sun is beating down on me. I try to walk in the shady parts, but the narrow street is crowded with people all searching for that same small amount of shade. I am sweaty. The heat of the day is bouncing off the streets, the crowds, the surrounding stone buildings. My plastic water bottle is empty again. I am moving silently with a crowd of strangers. But the crowd's silence doesn't make the traders any less eager to sell their goods to their passing trade. I try not to laugh as a trader after trader tries to sell me a rug, a religious keyring, a mop. I imagined my first pilgrimage would involve less bartering over a mop. I'm being led by some Franciscan brothers through the stations of the cross on the streets of Jerusalem, starting at the Church of the Flagellation. Yes, it's called that. Why it hasn't caught on, we don't know. And we are following the last journey of Jesus through Jerusalem. We are on our way to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is said to be the site of Calvary and the tomb of Jesus. The church appears small, simple, and is easily missed from the outside. But as you step in um, to such a bigger space, your eyes are lifted upwards towards the heavens. In the center of the church is an imposing 19th century shrine, which is the spot where Jesus was placed after the crucifixion. I join the queue to visit the tomb. Everyone is heading in that direction anyway. The tourists taking it off their list of places to visit. The seekers searching for a life-changing encounter in the stones. And the followers who kneel, bow, smile, cry and kiss the stones because they believe that what happened there changes lives, has changed their life. For over 2,000 years, an empty tomb in has been drawing people to it and this empty tomb asks us to answer for ourselves the same question who is Jesus and Bronwyn is going to come and read Mark 16. When the Sabbath was over Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus's body. Verily on the first day of the week just after sunrise they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white, in a white robe, sitting on the right side, of, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene. He was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go. Tell his disciples and Peter, he is gone, going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as I told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Thanks, Bronwyn. And as we said before, Mark sets out his stall very early on in the first line um, of, the, of his gospel. He writes, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. 
He then spends the rest of his gospel providing us with the evidence to back up his claim that Jesus is the Son of God. And this history teacher would have been very proud of him. He uses doves descending from heaven, a house with a hole in the roof, five loaves and two fishes, a nightmare boat trip, and the view of his best mate. And last week we saw a donkey and some palm leaves. And now he is using an empty tomb to tell us who, believe, who he believes Jesus to be, the risen and alive Messiah. And today, if we are willing, this empty tomb can open us to a new understanding of who Jesus is. It can open us to a new life in Jesus, and it can open us up to celebration. On the first Easter Sunday, we meet the first people faced with this empty tomb, three women. And verse 1 of Mark 16 says that they had brought spices to anoint Jesus' dead body. They're, they're custom to deal with the smell of death in a hot climate. And we first meet Mary Magdalene at the start of Luke 8. And Luke provides a brief snapshot of her. She was healed by Jesus. She went on mission with him. And she was part of a group of women who financed his mission. She was a follower of Jesus, given her time and resources to follow him on his mission. And she would have heard the parables he told and other teaching about the kingdom of God. She would have seen the healings and other signs of him demonstrating that he was establishing God's kingdom. And she even experienced that healing and freedom for herself. And she followed Jesus right to the foot of the cross, likely with the other women who were at the tomb with her. And Mark writes in um, chapter 15, verse 40 to 41, some women were there watching from a distance, including Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. They had been followers of Jesus and had cared for him while he was in Galilee. And many other women who had come with him to Jerusalem were also there. As most of the disciples fled, these women stayed with Jesus to the end. They watched him be tortured to death in the most horrific and demeaning of ways. These women we meet at the tomb were not mere by bystanders. They had committed their lives to following Jesus, even when things were at their most difficult. But when we meet them at the tomb, these women, these dedicated, all-in followers of Jesus, appear to no longer have the expectation of Jesus establishing God's kingdom on earth. They had come to the tomb expecting death, not resurrection life. But their expectations were about to be shaken. And Mark goes on to write, when they entered the tomb saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. The women were shocked. The empty tomb was not what they expected to find. And the angel was very clear about what had happened to Jesus. He is risen from the dead. But Jesus had also been very clear about this with his disciples and followers before he was crucified. And as Paul mentioned last week, Mark mentions four times that Jesus had talked to his disciples and followers and rise from the dead. And in Mark 9, verse 31, Jesus says, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed, but three days later, he will rise from the dead. 
Verse 30, did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. Sounds a lot like me for the entire years of my GCSE maths. This, that Jesus always said that this would happen. And it's always tempting to have a go at the disciples for being slow on the uptake. But they never in their wildest dreams would ever have imagined that the promised, long hoped for Messiah would suffer and die. The Messiah to them would powerfully establish God's kingdom, getting rid of the Romans and restoring the glory days of King David and King Solomon's reigns. The Messiah suffering and dying was not even a thought that would have entered their heads. Also, the disciples would have been taught that God would raise all his chosen ones at the end of time. Resurrection was not just for one person and not ways of understanding the Messiah and the resurrection so different that it went in the way of them hearing the truth from Jesus. Their preconceived ideas were blocking them from understanding who Jesus was and what he was doing. And I wonder whether we do the same thing. Jesus is and what he will do get blocked ideas of who we think ideas that perhaps he wouldn't say about himself and could this be limiting us from knowing Jesus the one who is arisen and alive today when I became a Christian at 14 I was blessed to have the support of people to um, teach me how to follow Jesus they loved the Bible and gave me a real love for the Bible, which I am forever grateful for. Um, but in the Christian, their Christian traditions, they believe the stuff that we see Jesus and the disciples doing, like healing and miracles, um, and the spiritual gifts that you see the church using in the New Testament, like prophecy and speaking in tongues, would no longer happen. But it was all just for back then. Jesus doesn't move like that anymore. And I believed them, you know, I had no reason not to until I had a reason. And um, when I was in my final year at uni, my friends and I were praying together, which wasn't a usual thing. So I can't remember why um, it's or how it's remember how it ended with me laughing on the floor. Um, and as we prayed, I felt this weight on my back and I started to bend over and I ended up um, on the floor kneeling um, and I was experiencing the Holy Spirit for the first time and then my friend felt that she should share Isaiah 62 with me and as she shared that it was like my heart was just beating so fast and just um, I've, God was speaking to me not an audible voice but I was just so sure it was him and that's when the tears started in love with Jesus, what he was saying to me. And then joy came. And then laugh. And then she started to laugh. And then her roommate came to find out what on earth was going on up there. It wasn't a scary but a beautiful and alive Jesus in the Holy Spirit. But I had a problem because this experience didn't match what I So I went Bible where I find but I find that said cease 
would cease to experience, that we would, um, that we would stop experiencing the Holy Spirit at some point. Encounter was like adding rocket fuel to my Christian walk. It deepened my faith. that I thought that maybe into them as well. And if I continued to listen, I would have missed out on seeing how alive Jesus is today. Jesus is alive today. What ideas do we have in our heads that are stopping us from seeing and experiencing him? Maybe it's ideas around the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's ideas we have around forgiveness. Maybe... Um, it's ideas around what does it look like to take up your follow him. Maybe it's even the idea of someone raising from the dead in the first place. And he write, writes, are we prepared to have our earlier ways of understanding things taken apart so that a new way of understanding can open up instead? In verse 7, the angel says to the woman, Jesus is going ahead of you. you there just as he told you before he died you will see him there just as he told you the women would have missed out on seeing Jesus alive and risen if they had stuck with their their previous way of understanding the Messiah if we are willing the empty tomb opens us understanding of who Jesus is one that will help us to see him alive today in Mark 16, the angel um, shows the women the spot where Jesus was supposed to be. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. The empty tomb opens up the possibility of finding new life in Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15, we find Paul writing a whole section in his letter reminding the Corinthians about the good news of the resurrection of Jesus. And he says in 1 2, death came into the world through a man. Now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. As followers of Jesus, we believe that the empty tomb, the resurrection, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Without him, we remain dead in the tomb. But with him, we get to experience resurrection life as well. And 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says, The old life is gone, the new life has begun. It has begun, the new life has begun. And this is not for a new life has begun now when we decide to become a christian to love him to follow him in his ways transformation begins in us it's not kept for heaven we don't pray a prayer and continue in our old ways of living it has begun and jesus wants us to embrace this so what does this new life look like so i've listed seven things um, that Jesus makes new in us, and these are to get us started. Um, not quite a definitive list, more later, but seven to get us started. And each is tied to a different verse of scripture. So there's a new start, new relationship with God, new identity in him, new destiny, new position, new power, new purpose. 
and we don't have time to go through each of them today. But what I would really like you to do is look at this list, and you might need to move. Someone might want to come forward and take a picture. But which one are you drawn to? New start, new relationship, new identity, new destiny, new position, new power, new purpose. And I would highly recommend that this week you take that, that phrase and that Bible passage away, read over it, mull over it as you go about your daily life, and ask Jesus, what does his new life look like in that area for you today? What could a new start look like for you and Jesus? What could new identity look like? Ask him the question. And then I really encourage you to share it with another follower of Jesus. Pray together about it, about what Jesus is saying to you. New life has begun. Jesus, help us to see it and embrace it. And in Luke and John's accounts of the empty tomb, they highlight that the linen clothes that Jesus' body would have been wrapped in were left lying in the tomb discarded, no longer needed, left behind. New life did not involve grave clothes. We don't need our grave clothes anymore. We have new life to put on. And I sense for seems a bit up high in the sky, a dream. And you're really finding it hard to see that new life. And I wonder, could it be is that we're trying to put this new life on top of grave clothes, on top of our old life, our old ways of understanding and being? Perhaps those previous ways of understanding Jesus are getting in the way of us embracing new life fully. And I sense particularly that for some people, the grave clothes that you're wearing is the belief that it's always going to be this way. A new life can be instantaneous, but it can also take time, patience, therapy, medication, prayer ministry at every opportunity and all of those things at once. But this belief that things will always be the way this is, that's like grave clothing. And it can get in the way of us embracing the new life that Jesus has for you. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. And if you can relate to this, what I'm going to do now is that I would love to just pray for us where we're sitting. You don't have to identify yourself, but I'm just going to pray right now. So if we can all just assume the prayer position. Yeah, come, Lord. just thank you that you're gentle and that you want to gently take off any grave clothing that we're, we're wearing at the minute. Mm. Particularly that idea that it will always be this way. We just ask you to remove that in the name of Jesus. Mm. Yeah, we thank you that you have new life for us, that you're making all things new. Yeah, sooner or later, we will be new. Yeah, bring your freedom, Lord. 
Thank you, Jesus. And for anybody that maybe that resonated with or you felt something was going on when you were taking time to be still there, we would love to pray with you at the end. So please do come up and, and get some prayer. Do we believe that the empty tomb tells us that Jesus is risen and has new life for those that choose to believe in him and belong to him? And if so, what does that new life look like to you today? I um, was at to Diane and Tommy's recently, and Tommy came into the living room looking all dapper in his suit, and he was heading to a funeral, and he said that it used to be the suit that he wore to weddings, but he only gets invited to funerals now. So if anyone is getting married or having a fancy party, I'm putting a plea. Please invite Tommy so he can wear that suit to do a bit of dancing in. Um, but what really stuck me was that Tommy's party suit had become his funeral suit. And I believe that the grave clothes are the other way around. Jesus got rid of the funeral suit so that we could put on the party suit, so we could put on new life. And as I was preparing for this, I was reminded of something from the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15. And it says, we had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. Celebration is part of the kingdom of God. And we see that in the parables of Jesus that tells us that involve banquets and celebration. Jesus was dead and now is alive. We have to celebrate this happy day. And I was just really struck this morning that Dave was talking about family. And I suppose I want to put an invitation out there that we would love you to be part of our family here, the family of God. And you might feel a wee bit like the prodigal son. You've gone off and done your own thing. You've lived life your own way. Um, but I just want to say that God, that Jesus is inviting you back um, and that there's actually going to be a party for you, that you think that what your life is like so far is a party, but no, this is actually going to be a bigger and better party. And I feel as well, particularly for people who maybe haven't been in church in a while, who once were believers and have kind of walked away, that, um, yeah, that you, God just wants to welcome you back and to say that this is home. This is where you find your home. And it doesn't matter what you've done, that Jesus has forgiveness for you, that has grace for you, and wants to have a party for you. And I think if that is you, we would love to pray with you at the end. And... Um, this is a bit random, but Alan Grant would love to pray with you, and he doesn't do that yet. But I just sort of felt like during the worship that anybody that that resonates with, Alan will be available at the end to pray with you. Um, and yes, the women, when we meet them, when they first encountered the tomb, they, did not, they didn't celebrate. What was their reaction? Does anybody remember? It, Mark 16, 18 finishes with trembling and bewildered. The women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. But they didn't stay like this for very long. We know that they told people because we're reading about it now. They told the disciples about the empty tomb and the risen Jesus. And we'll see in a few weeks their experiences at Pentecost, which looks a lot like a party to me. And I love how N.T. Wright puts it. 
Easter is about the real Jesus coming out of the real tomb and God's real new creation get underway. Easter week ought to be an eight-day festival with champagne served after morning prayer or even before with lots of alleluias and extra hymns and spectacular anthems. Is it any wonder people find it hard to believe in the resurrection of Jesus if we don't throw our hats in the air? Is it any wonder we find it hard to live the resurrection if we don't do it exuberantly in our liturgies? He's so posh, isn't he? But I love that. Is it any wonder we find it hard to live the resurrection if we don't do it exuberantly in our liturgies? In our it's hard to dance in grave clothes. Why do we leave the parties to Christmas? Surely Easter is even more a reason to get the schlur, get the Balamina wine out, isn't it? Forget the champagne, Mr. Wright. We'll get the Balamina wine out. If we believe that the tomb is empty, that Jesus is risen, and the resurrection is bringing new life, surely then it's time to party. Easter is a celebration of new life begun in Christ. And shortly we're going to start the celebration by taking communion together. And sometimes communion turns into be a bit of a doer affair, doesn't it? And it is a celebration where we remember the death, but we also remember the resurrection of Jesus. We remember why he died and why he lives. 1 Corinthians 5 again, death came into the world through a man. Now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Amen to that. The oldest manuscripts at the end of Mark 16, you'll see that when you, when you look at it in your Bible. It finishes um, at verse 8 with the women being with trembling and afraid and telling no one nothing. And the verses after that are added at later periods, and scholars debate if this is how Mark leave it or if the final pages somehow got destroyed or lost. And we really don't know either way until we get to heaven and who will care then because we'll all be too busy partying in our wedding clothes. Um, but if we take the end of Mark's um, as um, verse 8, it forces us to decide for ourselves. It asks us the question. The empty tomb asks us to, to decide who is Jesus. And as we celebrate communion together, it will give us time to ponder and celebrate as well. Are you open to a new understanding of Jesus as the risen and alive Messiah? To new life in Jesus? And are you open to celebrating that new life exuberantly with Balamina wine?